be honest with you today, we feel like oh, we're a little disjointed, uh, but that's okay. The Lord knows, and we'll get through this. Um, I believe, I'm believing, I say, I put that differently, I'm believing for great things here in the next couple of months. I know God sometimes uh, uses circumstances of life to bring about certain things, and obviously God is in control of all this. He's in control of everything that's taken place, so we can sit back and we can try to figure out the why and the why not, or we can just come to the realization God is in control, let's just get on board and see where he's going to take us. So I, I don't know why I said all that, I just maybe just said that, that, that um, I, I'm, I'm ready to move forward, let's put it that way. When we got through this uh, stretch, and, and thankfully, looking at the weather forecast, there doesn't look to be any more 20s and teens on a horizon. Everybody said, thank you, Jesus. All of you that like winter, God bless you. For the rest of us who are saved, we are glad to, to be um, moving forward uh, through this. Praise God. Amen. I, I want to uh, come to you today with, with more of a, um, uh, more of something that's on my heart, a bird of my heart, than a sermon. And so hopefully by the help of the Lord today, uh, the Lord can help us. I want to turn your attention to the book of Mark chapter 8. The book of Mark chapter 8. And we're going to read one verse, and then I'll have you sit down, and we'll go back and read some more. Mark chapter 8, verse number 37 says this, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to talk to you today with the help of the Lord on this thought, what is your soul worth? What is your soul worth? Praise God. Lord, we need you today. I'm not interested, Lord, in just coming to go through the motion, the, 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 the rituals of another service. God, I believe that you are here to speak to us, speak to me, speak to us today. Lord, we, we need you to challenge us today. We need you to shake us from some complacency and some some passivity, God, and ignite something down in our hearts and our spirits afresh and anew today, God. I pray by the power of your spirit, through the authority of your word, that you would move in this place today. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know there are four Gospels. For, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Obviously, being the first three, if you have ever studied any bit of theology, uh, not to bore you for a moment, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered to be the synoptic gospels. That's what, in theological terms, they are referred to. They're referred to as synoptic gospels. And what that means is, is that they are very similar in their makeup and their content, even though each one of them... Uh, is written a little differently. The 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 the, uh, the totality of Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
seems to come from the same place. And scholars have argued where that source uh, comes from. Some feel like that was from an oral uh, gospel that was passed down. Uh, because if you have studied at all, you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were not written during the time that Jesus was there. They were written after the day of Pentecost. They were written years after that. And so uh, some have argued that. Others argue that there was what they call the, the Q source, the letter Q, which comes from the German word for source. There was a Q source, and so that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had access to this kind of written down um, synopsis and stories and everything that Jesus said, and then and used that to share their own uh, content. And so there are similarities in all three uh, of the Gospels. John being the last book written in all of the Bible, even though it's considered to be a Gospel, it was actually the last book written in all the Gospel, being written, some say, as late as 100 A.D., which would have been... 70 years, 65 years plus after the day of Pentecost. Uh, Mark being the first gospel written and, and Matthew being the most widely used gospel written. And Matthew was mostly written towards a Gentile uh, audience and, and uh, Mark being the shortest of the gospels and, and Mark being a very fast pace. If you read the book of Mark, it's, it's very fast pace. It's one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and Luke, being the physician, had a very exactitude in writing his gospel. Uh, Luke, of all, all four gospels, tries, in my opinion, to really get to the facts of things. Uh, but this particular scripture that I read to you today is referenced by both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It, this, this kind of this, this, this thought, this, this, what Jesus was trying to say here. And I want to go back up and read the whole kind of context of where we find that verse in Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. And this is Jesus. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul. Both Matthew in chapter 16, Luke in chapter 9, and Mark in chapter 8 ask this question, ask this kind of context. What is your soul worth? What is your eternal soul worth? What, what would it profit you if you would gain all of the world but would lose your soul just for sake of context, I, I want to read Mark 8 in the Lou Living Translation, the same verses we just read. Then calling the crowd to join the disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, this is a very difficult thing in our modern world and our, especially in modern Christianity to even approach. Because we have fallen into the cycle of modern Christianity of, of, of focusing on the here and the now. How do you help me here? How do you help me cope with this? How do you help me get blessed? How do you help me become this? And how do you help me become that? And, and we've lost sight of the theme of the Gospels. The Gospels was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what was the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? The purpose of all that was the fact that you and I have an eternal soul. We have an eternal soul that is going to spend eternity somewhere. And so nowadays, in, especially in our modern church world, to... To mention the word heaven is 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 something to to is on one sec, but 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 don't mention the other place. Don't don't say that other word and, and, and don't even reference that other word because you know what? That's just not God, and God's God of love, and God's a God of compassion, and God's a God of patience, and God's a He, he sent his son into the world to, to save the world, and, and God is this and God is that, and don't mention that other place. But the problem is you can't have a heaven without a hell. You can't know there's light if there's not darkness. And for us to sit here in a naivety or in some kind of fantasy world and not come to the grips today that there is something facing all of us today. That there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And there is something that we all must face today. And, and, and part of that, I, I, I meditated on this thought of why maybe this has happened and, and what was the difference. Because if you read, the, read Jesus, Jesus talked about it many, many times, referenced hell many, many times. But I guarantee you today, if you go to most churches and you looked at the last 52 weeks of the year and the 52 messages that were preached, I would... Suffice to say that of all the churches combined, less than 1% would even mention anything regarding that. But the problem is, is this, is that we've never lived in a period of time better than now. We've never lived at a time greater than now. I read a statement, I don't know if it's true, it sounds like it could be true, but they say there are more doctors and engineers and scientists alive today than in all of recorded history combined. There are so many things that make life so easy. And I know we talk about this and, and, and it's overused, but it's so hilarious today. I mean, when, when you leave the house, what is the one thing you make sure you have? Your cell phone. Now you don't even need your wallet with Apple Pay. You have your cell phone. And I kept losing my wallet so many times 
that I actually took a picture of my driver's license. So now I don't even need that. I got this right here. Look, I don't know if it would work, but I have it. We have this incredible life that we live. And because of that, it's a good life. Let's be honest, folks. We live a good life. No matter how bad you think it is compared to people around the world and not only that, people of history, we live a good life, okay? Just because you can't have everything at the mall and everything at Best Buy and your car is not the shiniest thing on the lot doesn't mean your life stinks. You got here today. You didn't have to take a horse and wagon to get here. Even if you didn't have a car, you at least got driven here. You didn't have to walk miles and miles and miles to get here. So we live a good life. But comparison that or, 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 or looking at that versus the life of, of, the, of the audience that Mark and Matthew and Luke were writing to, where, where they were used to oppression, they were living in, in a world dominated by a Roman Empire that was that w- that was telling them what to do and how to do it, and, and a world that that was vastly different, where life expectancy was shorter, and all this stuff was so different. When you look at that world compared to our world, their value on life was a lot less than our value on life. And so when they began to look at life. They were looking at ways because their life, they knew if you were born a slave, you were probably going to die a slave. If you were born in poverty, you were probably going to stay in poverty. If you were born in prison, you were probably going to stay in prison. That's the mentality of their life. But we have such a vast difference in our ideas and thoughts on the way we look at life. And so in comparison... My life is good, and I want to try to figure out how to make it better. Their whole idea was life was, was, there was no hope of getting better. So they had to look for something else beyond that. And so when Jesus began to share with them the idea that there is a place that you can go to, there is a promised land. There is a, there is a place that I have prepared for you that's beyond this life, that when you die in this life, that's not the end of it. But there's a place. But also, depending on how you live your life and the choices that you make today, there's also a punishment that is waiting for you, for those who decide, well, you know, I'll do my own thing and live my own life. If, you ever, if, you, if, you, if you're new here, and I say new, I say within the last 10 years, 12 years, and you drive up on our property now and you look across to the graveyard that is the old slab over there out front there you can still see on the pavement on the uh, concrete you can still see the outlines of the walls was uh, my father the bishop it was his office and and growing up I don't even know where he got it maybe my mother would remember I don't know someone gave him a giant scale like, like uh, 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 not, not the kind you step on and say, well, whoa, I ate too many cookies. Not that kind of scale. But the kind of old balancing scales. It was, it was, it was rel- relatively large. Uh, for, it was maybe about uh, three feet tall and had an, an, a, the, the scale bar that went across. And it had these gold chains that came down and these two plates on each side of it. And it was relatively a pretty decent scales inside.
right, you wouldn't get an accurate reading, but you'd unloosen it so that you would get a true kind of the, the fluency of the scale. And I would remember as a, as a child and, 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 a, and a, a, as I got older, going in the office and playing and stacking different things on the scale and trying to, to balance out the scale and see how much different things weigh. And, and, and when I was thinking and meditating today on this, that image came to my mind. Because really, that, that's what we're doing here today in a lot of ways when we live our lives. We're trying to figure out how much pleasure can we have but still keep the scale in balance. Or, or put it this way, how much God do I need to squeeze into my life so that I make sure the scale stays balanced, but, but I don't want to tip it too much, you know? Because if I tip it too much, then I've got to give up some things and I've got to do things differently. So I've got to figure out how to live this delicate balance between how much church, how much God do I have to squeeze into my life and do enough right things and have enough right attitudes and pray just enough and come to church just enough and do enough right things to, to balance out the scales so that, that over here my soul can remain in the proper place for eternity. And so we live in this delicate balance of, of really, we, we, we really not figuring out the hunger for God, but it's more about how much God do I need to get to heaven? How much do I need to squeeze into the, you know, just, 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 we, we don't want to come out and say what's the minimal. Because we know if we say that, 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 that pulls the cover off. And we just want to know how much do we need to squeeze into our lives so that we can we can make it. Just we just we gotta make it. Jesus said this. He said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. New Living Translation says this: wherever your treasure is. There the desires of your heart will be also. That scripture right there unlocks the thinking and where my head is. Because how much time do we spend thinking about today? And how much time do we spend thinking about our eternal soul? Now, obviously, nobody here wants to walk around in a morbid mentality thinking about death and thinking about your... I don't believe that's what it's trying to get to. I don't think we should all walk around depressed thinking that, you know, this is the mentality that we need to be to, to live with. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is where your treasure is. What's treasure? Where your value is. Where your worth is. Where... Where, where you're putting your energy and your time into it. And, and we all, I, I believe that we all should strive to be the best we can be. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I think that the mentality that we're all supposed to walk around with our head, head hung low and sad and, and, and depressed. What's wrong with you? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, you poor thing. You poor thing. And, and we're just, we're Christians and we got holes in our pockets and we got... We got holes in our shoes, and, and we're, 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 we're just a mess because we're Christians. And you know, these Christians, and Jesus takes all the fun out of life, and we just got to suffer through life. Well, listen, you know what? 
God didn't call us to be Amish. God blessed the Amish, but he didn't call me to be Amish. I like lights. I like their food, though. If you ever want a treat, go to the Amish market down in Annapolis. How that place stays in business open three days a week for like an hour a day. It's amazing they can afford the rent. That just proves how popular it is. I better get back on track or forget where I was going. I'm start getting hungry. But this mentality that, you know, we, we're supposed to walk around sad and depressed because we're, we're Christian. I don't believe that's the way it is or not. I don't believe God doesn't want us to enjoy our lives and be the best we can and go get an education, go get a job, make money. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem is when you put yourself into that and that becomes your treasure and everything you do and every decision you make is based off that. How do I know if that's the case? Question. Where's your desires in life? When you wake up in the morning, what's your desires? Is your desire to get closer to Jesus? Or is your desire to make sure you get on time to go to work, to get that project done, so you get that promotion, so you can get a better job, so you can get a better car, get a better house? Why is all this important? I'll tell you why this is important. What was the purpose of this? Are you trying to tell us? That we're just a bunch of bad people? No, I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm trying to tell you this. Eternity is facing all of us. I heard someone say this the other day. Eternity is not a long time. Eternity is all of time. Eternity is not a long time. Eternity is all of time. And I used to as a kid, I've said this before and used this before, but I don't know why. I don't think I was a morbid child, uh, but I don't know where in the world I, why my brain would work this way. But I remember vividly as 10, 11, 12-year-old laying in my bed at night and remember trying to, to wrap my head around as a child, trying to wrap my head around the idea of eternity. To think about the fact that that just, just for a moment, if you would allow your brain to kind of reach out into the vastness of time and, and think about, let's just pull a number out, okay? Let's just think a million years. Let's just use a number, okay? A million years. One million years. Let's, let's just reach way out there in the end of it. A million years. That, that if you're in... That if you're in Eternity for a million years, a million years. And you begin to reach way out there in time in your imagination where almost our human brains can't even compute the vastness of time. And you get all the way out there and you think, wow, that's such a long time. And then you stop for a minute and you realize eternity doesn't end there. To think about this, and this is where it's sobering, and, and I've come more today not to really get you to run to an altar, but to sober some of us today. The Bible says be sober. To 
But think about the fact that that is, is a little unfair. I guess you could argue it's a little unfair. But to think about, we get this little fraction, Tony, of time. Small fraction. And I know comparison to where we are now, I mean, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, 20 years, 30 years, seems like an expansive time. But, but really, in actuality, it's not that long. And so we get this little fraction, this 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 millisecond, this blinking of an eye, as Paul said, this vapor of time. We get this small fraction of time in order to make a choice that lasts forever. To realize we live in a world that is conditioned to a reset button. You can play video games and you can be the character you want to be. And if your character dies or you don't do it right, it's simple. Reset. We live in a, a world and condition that we're used to starting things over. Let's just start over. Try it again. Start over. Try it again. You didn't do it good. Start over. Try it again. But the thing about this is that let's just say, hey, you know, I was a good person. I tried really hard, but, you know, I just had some things in life I needed to take care of, and I had things I liked to do, and it didn't really fit in with God, and so I did those things. It's no big deal, right? I was a pretty good person. I was still good. I was, I was moral. I didn't commit crimes. I, I didn't break the, I didn't go around stealing and, and slamming doors. I, I opened the doors for, for, for the elderly, and I smiled, and I, 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 was, I paid my taxes. I was a good person. And so, you know, I didn't quite make it, but, but maybe I'll only have to stay there for a couple of thousand years to pay off my debt. But to think about this, this is, this is so sobering to think about, is the fact is, I don't get a second chance. God help us today. You and I won't get a second chance at this. This is all we've got. We don't get a chance at this. It's not like at the end of that million years. Well, thank you for participating in all this. Now you can have another. You don't get a second chance. Now we can look at that as a sobering thing. And it should be. And that's why Jesus spoke so much of certain things. Because he's saying, listen, in comparison... To this, eternity outweighs this in comparison to what's going on now. And that's why he said, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to be in heaven with one eye than in hell with two. If, if, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Now that's a drastic idea. More than likely, we would all be blind, handless, and footless. Let's be honest, if that was the case. And it would be dramatic. And we could argue if he meant that literally or figuratively, but whatever he was meaning, it's dramatic to think about that, that, that my eye, if I can't control myself, it would be better, forgive me for being graphic for a moment, but it would be better to me to go home and get a screwdriver. And take care of my eyes once and for all. Then to live my life with the with the potential.
potential of letting my eyes lead me to be lost. How dramatic is that? There's nobody here that's volunteering us at the church. We could have a, a wooden block here and a bucket in front. And we'll say, okay, everybody here that's struggling with things in your life, come on up here. And, and you would luckily line up, okay, okay, one at a time, hand out there, kaboom, there you go. What an altar call. And he says, it would be better for you to do that. than for you to take the chance of losing your life and your soul. So when you begin to think about that, folks, for a minute, I'm going to say a statement, and I'm going to go back and requalify it, okay? So don't, don't leave. Everybody get up and leave at the same time when I make this statement. When you think of that, do you really think God is sweating over your life right now? Do you think God is sitting down going, oh my, their, their life's not perfect. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm their savior and I, I've got to fix all this so they can be happy and they, they, they'll love me and, and, and uh, they'll worship me. And if I don't get all this straight, then I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Do you really think that's God's attitude? He's more worried about your soul than your happiness. The preacher said it last week. The Bible is not the Constitution. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He said, I've come to seek and to what? Save. Not to seek and make happy. Not to seek and make millionaires. Not to seek and make you the perfect person. I've come to seek and save. And if I've got to drag you there, if I've got to, if I've got to, if you've got to go there through some stuff to get there, it's worth it. Because you know what? I want to be happy. I, I want to have, I want life to be healthy for me, brother, brother Tony. Sorry, you're the only one in this region. You're going to get picked on a lot today. You did, you're, you smell good, man. What's up with that? No one likes to be around you and all this. But you think about that for a moment. If God is coming from, now listen, there's three, three, three phases of time that talks about in the Bible. There is temporal. Temporal has a beginning and has an ending. The Bible calls this life temporal because we have a start point and we have an end point. We were born and the Bible says that a point and a man wants to die. So we have, a, we have an end or the rapture. So we have a start, we have an end. We have temporal. Then the time, there the Bible talks about eternal. Eternal means there is a start, but there is no finish. So it means there is a beginning, and then there is no finish. And then finally, that the, the talked about the infinite, which God is infinite, meaning there is no beginning and there is no ending. So when God looks at you and I, he doesn't look at us from temporal to temporal. God looks at us from the infinite into the temporal. 
So when God looks at you and I, he doesn't look at us in the capsule of time. Because what is time to the infinite? That's why the Bible says for a Lord there's a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. Why? The same is almost contradictory. Why? Because it's saying basically to the infinite time is irrelevant. Something that's never had a beginning and something that's never had an end, what does it matter? Time. And but for you and I, we are judged and lived and, and, and governed by time. We know when we're supposed to be at work. We know we're supposed to get off work. We know when our kids need to be dropped off. We know this. We know that. We know when our vacation time is. We know when holidays are. We know when church starts. We know this. And so we're governed by time. And usually most of us, we work eight hours. We try to sleep eight hours. And then we have another eight hours left. That's our time. And we, we are governed by this. And so we know i got to be at work at, at 8 o'clock. And I get off at 4 o'clock. And then I go home. And we got to eat dinner. And then i got a couple hours of me time. And then, and then it's back to the cycle again and so we're we, we live in this mentality of time and understanding time and, but when God looks at us he doesn't look at us governed by time and so when he looks at you and I today and we think well why is this and why is that and why is this why is it so important to God it's important to him because what we're doing in this life determines where we are in the next life. So if I said to you, this is drastic and, 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 kind of, and kind of simplistic, but if I said to you today, listen, I'm going to promise you a perfect life forever. Only one condition. For one second, I'm going to inflict the most pain that I can on you for one second. After that, you're done forever. You'll have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, nothing for the entire life. Who in here would not line up right now to take that bargain? You can endure anything for a second. Just one second. If I said to you right now, one second. I don't care if you count it. One, one Mississippi, one California, however you want to count it. One second. Just one second. And out of that one second. So the, what are there? There is uh, uh, three thirty-six hundred seconds in a minute, uh, in an hour. Thirty-six hundred. I'll get there. I might have to take my shoes off to count that. I thirty-six hundred. So just in one hour, that's only one out of three hundred thirty-six hundred seconds. But I said to you, just one excruciating second of pain, and the rest of your life is perfect. There's not one person here who would just run to the altar and say, "Take it, please, give it to me. I'll take it." Give me that. I'll, I will take that gladly. Right? No, no, no. Be, you don't even care. You wouldn't even ask me what the pain. It, it didn't matter. You wouldn't care how bad the pain was, right? Because it's only for a brief moment. You wouldn't care. You wouldn't care what I did to you for that one second. Because you knew the payoff was greater than anything you're going through. Mm, hallelujah. You knew that that second could be endured because the joy of what was coming after that second was worth anything you could go through in that one second. And so when God looks it down at us, he's not looking at a lifetime. You know, some of us, let's be honest, some of us have been through more than others, okay? We're not supposed to compare, but let's take out the books and compare for a minute. Some of you have been through hell. 
Some of us have had some pretty uh, good lives, okay? So if we're going to start comparison, God's not fair. But in reality, what God's asking was, if you will give one second of life here, I'm going to give you an eternity of happiness, of peace, and joy. But God, why don't you answer this prayer? God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do that? You know what? He doesn't have to. Whatever you and I have got to do to get to heaven, it's worth it. It doesn't matter if we got to go there broken, busted, disgusted, if we've got to go there without ever being healed. But you know what? I believed the greatest tactic that the adversary has gotten into the church because he's subtle. He doesn't just come out. He wouldn't just walk in here with a bunch of demons and stand in front of us, growling and foaming at the mouth. It'd be obvious, right? Ooh, we don't want anything to do with that. If you walked in here today and we had spray-painted a, 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 a pentagram on the back wall and we had blood spilled all over, you would realize this is not the place I want to be. I got to go. Right? So the devil's not obvious because he knows if he's obvious, you, you'll, 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 you'll figure it out. So what does he try to do? He's subtle, right? So one of the most subtle things he tries to get you to do is he tries to get you focused on this life. He wants you to pray about this life. He wants you to, he wants you to, 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 to be consumed by this. And so now, what do preachers talk about? Everywhere you go, preachers talk about how to have your best life now, how to do this now, how to get this now, how to get money now, how to do this now, how to do that now, 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 day, day, today, 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 today. And so now, church has stopped becoming a refuge and an ark of salvation, and it's becoming a psychology hospital where you come to figure out what's wrong with my brain to get fixed so I can become a better me. Well, you know what? I don't care what I become as long as I'm saved in the end. Because you know what? What does it matter if I walked in here with all the money in the world dripping out of my pockets and I walked around giving out $100 bills and you said, man, this guy is amazing. But in the end, I've got to spend all of eternity. All of eternity. Not just a few days, not just a few weeks, not just a few months, but all of eternity. And so we get consumed in this. And we get consumed, and our walk with God becomes consumed about this and just trying to survive, right? And so we, 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 we pray so we can stay, and we fast so we can last, and we're humble so we don't stumble. It's all about right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. And yes, is it important stuff? Of course it is. Again, I'm not trying to tell us we just, we just walk around miserable. I'm not, I'm not advocating at all. I'm point, my point I'm trying to make is if you only look at value of where you are right now and where you perceive you're going in this life and you miss the value of what's to come, you've lost it all. A couple weeks ago on a Thursday night, I had the opportunity to speak. And uh, 
For those of you that were there, you'll remember this, and so allow me for a moment to go back there. But now 34 years of being in the church, and at least 25 of those years being old enough to comprehend what was going on and see things, and to literally watch, and, and it's now after 40 plus years of this church being in existence, the numbers now reach into the thousands of people that have come in and have gone out. And, and we often talk about the fact of why people leave and what makes people leave and, and what makes people, uh, what, what makes people uh, uh, um, uh, um, leave God and do all that. And we could spin here, and, and I have my own feelings and thoughts from the Word of God and what happens to people. But that's not the point. So that, that Thursday night, I asked, I said, well, instead of focusing on why people leave, let's stop for a moment and focus on why people stay. Because let's be honest, it, it, one of the things that we're facing now in our church that we've never faced before is that we have a, a, a sizable group of people that have been saved for 20 plus years. You don't have that problem in a new church. You don't have that situation. New church, everyone's fresh. Everyone's on the same playing field. But we have people that have been in church here for 30-plus years. We have people that have been in here for 30-plus days. And so you get this vast, vastness, and that's what really a church becomes healthy. If you walked in today and everybody was brand new, that may look cool, but it's not very healthy. Because... I want to know a product works because I want to see people have taken the product and used it and have proven it worked. Don't just give me an infomercial selling how good the product is and then have nobody to back up the product. Don't say your product can save me and, and, and heal me and then everybody that's on the infomercial looks the same. I want to see some people that have proven the product works. And we have a lot of people here today that proven the product works. And so when a new person comes in here and they look around and they see this group of people, they say, well, look at this. Man, this, it's obvious that person's been here a while and they've been a while and you hear testimonies and things. Been here 30 years, been here 35 years, and that shows something. The question is, why do people stay? And, and there's a lot of things that you could come up with and are all valid answers. But to me, the thing that keeps someone going year after year is the fact that there's a vision inside of them. Not just a vision for the here and now, but there's a vision of the tomorrow. Because ultimately, Sister Ivy would come, what does it profit if we gain everything, but we lose our soul? I want you to think about this here as I close this morning, is that the average life expectancy, let's just take a good round number, okay? Let's just take 70 years is, a, is the average life expectancy. I think it's actually a little higher now, but let's just use 70 to be safe. Do you realize this? That you've got nine months of development to set you up for 70 plus years of life. Brother Muhammad, things that happened in your womb before you even understood
determined the health and the strength of your entire life. They've done studies and heard that babies can hear their can hear noises and hear voices in the womb and all that stuff. But I don't know of anybody in here today that can remember what it was like in their mother's womb. I don't know if anybody here today can actually look back and go, you know what? It was dark. It was bumpy. But I made it. No. But there's not one not one person in here that would argue the value of the womb. Neither would be one person in here today that would try to devalue the womb. Because we all understand if it wasn't for what happened in that womb before we even knew what it was, we wouldn't be here today. Well, you know what? In comparison, this life is the womb of eternity. And you know what? Our eternal selves don't really comprehend what's going on in the womb. But what's happening in this womb, because in comparison, nine months to 70 years, you know, 70 years to eternity, this womb here, determines. And so, you know, in the womb, they have checkups nowadays, and they got tons of them. And you go to the doctor, like, just a few, just a little while into it, and that first day, especially your first child, the second, third child, it's still exciting, but you know what to expect. But that first child, you go in there, and you know this is the day, right? You, you, don't, you don't really see anything growing in, in, your, in your stomach, but you know there's something there because, you, you know, things are changing and, and you've been told there's something in that womb and you're, you're excited to go there, right? And they want to make sure everything's okay, so they test. And then that moment comes, the, this incredible moment. They put that, that, that stuff and they put that little speaker next to it and you hear the washing machine for the first time. And they go, that's your baby's heartbeat. And you come back a little while later, and they, and they make sure. And they do the same thing, and they check. And then the big moment comes, right? The, the aha moment, the, the time when you get to go finally, and, and, and you don't see a little peanut on the screen. You're like, oh, there's your baby. I'm like, can you? It looks like one of those things you see at the psychologist. You know what? They, the, the ink blot. What do you see? I, I mean, they... Okay, that's my child, that's my child. But then you get to go nowadays, especially for those of us, our modern parents, we get to go see those sonogram, those 4D things that, you know, the, the alien come to life sort of thing. And you peer inside that belly and you can see. And the great thing about that now is, is that they can look in there and not only are they, are they listening and, or are they peering at a, at a black spot, but now they're looking at children and they're being able to, to pick up on things in children that are happening in the womb that if they could somehow correct them can, can help them not deal with things in life. And so this doctor becomes this incredible uh, reliance and whoever you choose of a midwife or doctor, but they, come, they become this, 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 this companion to make sure this child is properly taken care of. And a mother, you know, they start to eat certain things. They're taking vitamins and don't think this and don't eat that. And God help you have fish because the mercury makes their brains explode and don't any of this. <laughs> and you got to get all this right. Why? 
And so the mother is making sure she's getting enough sleep, and the mother's making sure she's doing that. Why? Because you're trying to take care of this baby that's in the womb. Because she knows what's happening in this womb is going to determine my baby's life. What takes place inside here, what I feed it, what I give it, what I expose it to. They've even determined things that children listen to in the womb will determine how they act when they get out. And now there's a thing, there, there's a study that says, if you've ever, if you ever studied a little bit about epigenetics and epigenetics, it's not, it's, it's like uh, things that are attached to your DNA. They're not DNA, but the things that alter in your DNA. And now epigenetics says that, that babies now are born with the innate ability to work an iPad or an iPhone. Because we have so conditioned in ourselves to do this little slide thing and then work this, this apparatus and it's begun to alter who we are that when our children are born, they can, by nature, operate an iPad. And if you ever see my two-year-old, I mean, goodness gracious, he could give you a lesson on how to operate it. I don't think he's smarter than kids that grew up 100 years ago. He just, there's something in him. It's like, it's already a gift. Why? Because the things that were passed on to him in the womb. So we're in a womb here, folks. Why do you think God is concerned about what you're going through and concerned about making sure that what's on the inside is more important than what's going on the outside? Because he understands it's the womb. It's the womb. So you know what? Does God want you to be happy? Yes. Does God want you to be free? Yes. Does God want this and God want that? Yes. But he's more concerned about what's happening in the womb. Because when we're finally birthed into that next life, whether it's through death or the rapture, and that is done, what we have put in the womb of this life will determine what takes place in that next life. So when God looks down at our lives and sees that blip on the radar of what you went through, for us it seems like a mountain, but for God it's another part of the wound that's developing us for whatever he has you to be on the other side. Because you know what? He heaven is not a vacation center. We're not going there to sit back on a beach and drink umbrella drinks and, and talk about how great life was on earth. It's not that. He said, you'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. So I am going to be something on the other side of that. Well, guess what? According to my Bible, there's no training in heaven. There's no schools in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no difficulty in heaven. So where does the formation of what we're going to become happen? It happens in the womb. 
And see, so you know what? There are times where life's going to be difficult. There are times where he's not going to answer my prayer. There are times where I'm not going to understand things. I'm going to lose stuff. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to. I'm going to go through dark places of life, and I'm not going to understand it all. And I may never get it all here in this vapor of life. But in all of the totality of that, he said, "I'm not just preparing you to be the best you can be here and now, but ultimately, I'm preparing you because there is an eternity." ahead of you that I have called you not to come up here and sit and walk around and look at the mansions and look at the streets of gold which is totally the mansion thing is so biblically inaccurate but ultimately he's saying because I've got to prepare you here and so yes are some of you going through, a, through hell yes are some of you enduring pain Yes. Do I have an answer for you? No. You know what? Sometimes you can get in the trap of trying to come up with things to help people or explain God away and try to, like God needs us to explain for Him. I don't know. I, I don't know some things. I don't know why some of you are going through things that others aren't going through. I don't know why some of you have experienced loss and others haven't. I don't know why some of you experience pain and others haven't. I don't know any of that. I can't explain that in this life. I'll never get the answer. You may never get the answer of the why. I can't explain it to you. I'll never get it. And you can spend day after day praying. But you're never going to figure it out. Why? Because you have the infinite looking into the temporal. And the temporal can't understand the infinite. But the infinite is not trying to judge the temporal by the temporal, but the infinite is judging the temporal by eternity. And so, yes, are you having to endure some hard times? Absolutely. Will it get better? I don't know. Are you going to spend more nights crying to sleep? Yes. Is it going to get better? I don't know. But the Bible says he that endures to the end. So you know what? It's not determining for my life to be perfect. It's determining whatever it takes. I'm going to make it. Because when I look at the alternative of life, because if I said to you, fine, here, listen, if you let me inflict one moment, one millisecond of pain upon you, I'll give you a life of happiness. You would take that. But if I said to you, listen, I'll give you one millisecond of peace. If you'll endure a lifetime of torment, you would say, well, no, 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 no. I don't want that deal. And yes, can I just talk plain for a moment? I'm trying to close. The Holy Ghost is not done yet. If I could talk to you plain today, would it be easier sometimes to stay home on Sundays? Absolutely. Would it be easier sometimes not to pray? Absolutely. My flesh would love that. Would it be easier sometimes just to give in to certain urges and certain desires? Absolutely yes. Would it be easy just to do what others do? Would it be easier, guys, not to pick on you, but you're over here. Would it be easy other guys to, to go out and do what other men of your age are doing now? Of course. Would you have a good time? Probably for a while, yeah. Anyone that says it's not fun, of course. But what is that moment in comparison? What is that moment in comparison? You see, when we become conditioned 
for this life, we start judging things by this life. And so when we, when we compare one moment, one decision in this life, we say, well, it's not that big of a deal. But when you look at it in the totality of eternity, all of a sudden it changes things. changes everything. But you realize that I am making a choice today that will last forever. And you can have the attitude today, well, that's not fair, preacher, that God's unfair. Why would he put that much pressure on me? Well, he didn't put pressure on you. He gave you a way out. It's called the cross. It's called blood. It's called redemption, forgiveness. And on top of that, he said, and I'm going to actually give you all the instructions you'll need in my word to navigate what you're going through. So really, it's not unfair. The only thing that makes it unfair is our flesh and our unwillingness. But you're, you're made of three parts, and I close with this. Body, soul, and spirit. The Bible teaches that at death, your spirit goes back to, the, back to God who gave it. Your flesh, this thing that has controlled us, that dictates our wants, our desires. In the end, it's going back to the dust. And that last part, that last part, our soul is what's going to be determined. It's going to live. And so the Bible says that our soul and our, our spirit and our flesh are at war. And in this room right now, all across here, inside there's a tug of war that's taking place. On one side you have spirit. On the other side you have flesh. And the rope that holds them together is soul. And whatever side that I feed, whatever side that I give, credence to is going to be the side that gets the strongest. And whatever side gets the strongest is the side that's going to pull my soul. So I feed spiritual things, my soul is pulled spiritually. If I feed, feed fleshly things, it's, feed, it's pulled fleshly. That's why there's certain things that, you know what, we could argue the fine points of the Bible and fine points of Christian living, but there's some things that aren't worth doing simply because of the fact, because what they feed doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go straight to hell and split it wide open if you do them. doesn't mean that. But there's certain things, if you do them, you're going to feed that other side. I used this before, and I'll use it again. If I said to you today after church, I said, listen, I need some volunteers that will help me. Out back over here on the slab, they just delivered 10 tons of sand. And we've got an unlimited supply of, of bags out there. And afterwards, if we could get a few hands that come help, we're going to fill sandbags up after church. There are some people in here today, your, your, your servant heart, your servant attitude would, would absolutely be out there wouldn't ask questions. There's other you today that would love to come out there and help, but you got other duties your children need and all that, and that's important. And there's some of us that would say, you know what, that's dumb. I have other things to do. I, I'm not doing that. But if I said to you today, listen, 
After church, I need some help. There's a, 10 tons of sand out there, and there's sandbags, and we got to fill them up because there's a storm coming that's going to raise the water level to the point that if we don't protect this building, we're going to lose this building. It's going to be swept away. I would say 90% of you would cancel everything you're doing today. You would go downstairs and grab your kids and say, listen, we can't go out to eat today. We've got to go help. And you'd be out there, and we'd have little kids out there, and we have adults. We'd have everybody out there. Even those of you that maybe not be physically able to do anything, you'd be out there at least supporting everybody else. Why? Because you understand the purpose of what we're doing. When you forget the fact there's a heaven and a hell, you lose the purpose of what we're doing here today. Come to church, don't come to church. Worship, don't worship. Read your Bible, don't read your Bible. It's not a big deal. When you do that, you've lost the purpose. But when you understand the purpose of all of this about, you don't have to have someone to tell you you need to pray. You don't have to tell someone you need to be there at church. You don't have to tell somebody you need to worship. Why? Because there's something down on the inside that says whatever I've got to do. Whatever I've got to do. Why? Because I see the purpose of it all. You know what? If I've got to forgo that, if I've got, if I've got, if I've got to let dreams go, if we all have dreams in here today, some of us have to lay those dreams down on the altar and say, you know what? I can't do those dreams and be saved. Why? Because there is something greater than my dream. There's something greater. Oh, God, today shake us from our complacency. Shake us from our fleshly ways, God. Whatever you've got to do in this place today, get a hold of us today. Lord, we take the shackles off. You say, God, whatever you've got to do for us to be saved, whatever you've got to take us through, whatever you've got to wake us through, God, whatever you've got to do, don't let us be lost today. Don't let us be lost. God, I pray here today, there's some of us in here today that our flesh is so strong. Our flesh is so out of control. And God, it's so hard for us to make a choice when our flesh is so strong. But God, I'm asking you, Lord, you said where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. I pray in this place today, a baptism of grace. I pray in this place today, a baptism of the blood of Jesus to wash from the left to the right, from the front to the back. Oh, in this place today, God, make yourself real and known. I must be saved. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me for eternity, for above all 
let's just take some life vests off, some life, some lifeboats off the Titanic because really, why does this ship need lifeboats? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? It'll never sink. And we often know that fateful night in April 20 of 1912 when the Titanic ran into the iceberg and thousands, hundreds are lost because there wasn't enough lifeboats. You know what? Sometimes we can look at this Christian life as sort of a lifeboat to think, you know what? What do we really need all this for? How many ships had crossed the Atlantic without incident hundreds and thousands of times? And looking at it, it was like, what do we need the lifeboats for? We made it okay. What do we really need the lifeboats for? It's okay. And when you lose sight of eternity, you start to question the need for a lifeboat. And when you start losing the vision of eternity the first thing you're going to get rid of is the lifeboat. Because why keep something around that you feel like you don't even need anymore? And when you lose sight of eternity, you start looking at what in your life you don't need. And the first thing you cut out is the lifeboat. But the point of the matter is, is that there's not one person that gets on a ship and looks around and goes, what are all these dumb lifeboats doing here? There's not one person that gets on an airplane and when they come on they say, you know what, you know, if you're getting an emergency exit, you, 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 there's a life vest underneath. There's not one person raise their hand and says, um, excuse me, could we just throw all these out before we take off? We're not going to need these things. The hope is you'll never need it, but the fact of the matter is if you do, you need that. The question I have to ask you today is, listen, let's just, for instance, say we get to the end of all this and we die. And when we wake up on the other side, we realize there's nothing over there. Let's just argue that for a moment, okay? Let's just say you die and you get there and you realize there's no bright light coming. There's no heaven, there's no hell. There's nothing on the other side. My question is, what did you lose living with the lifeboat? Because it's better to have the lifeboat and not use it than to cut it out and need it. And there's too many people that aren't here today because they figured, what's the point of the lifeboat? But there's an iceberg coming called eternity. That's their need of a lifeboat. Father, I have done my best today to get out of the way to decrease, that you could increase. Because I believe today that these have been the words of your heart, not the words of my heart. That you've called out to us out of concern. Because some of us are making decisions. Some of us are living our lives based off of what we see here and now. And we've forgotten the fact that you've created us to be eternal. We have a beginning, but we have no ending. God, I pray now that you would move amongst us. You would revive us. For you would shake us. You would awaken us from our slumber, our spiritual slumber, that we could see where we are, that your grace and your mercy would find us. Some of us, God, today are walking through dark places of our life, 
Some of us are walking through places that we don't have answers for. And Lord, you may never give us answers for, but God, in the darkness of today, don't let us forget the light of tomorrow. In the darkness and pain of the moment, don't let us lose sight of the joy that is set before us because your word said that you endured the cross because of the joy that was set before us. And you've asked us to carry a cross. And God, the only way you we're going to be able to endure the cross is if we put the joy in front of the cross. God, by your grace today, Lord, help us. Whatever you got to do to us, Lord, don't let us be lost. Don't let us be lost by your grace. Your mercy let me be lost for eternity, for eternity, for above. I must be, I must be, be saved. Praise God. If you need to go, God bless you. If you're still praying so or still feel the Holy Ghost moving, I encourage you, you don't leave this atmosphere without to talking to God. If you've got to go, God bless you. Thank you for being here. But don't leave here today. If God's spoken into your heart, your mind, your spirit, don't leave here today without taking a moment and talking to Jesus. I must be saved. Hallelujah.